This is an RNZ podcast. Among those self-identifying as a media drongo this week, but only ironically to make a bit of a clown of Wayne Brown, was Stuff's boss Sinead Boucher, with this shout-out to other media drongos in Auckland covering the floods. They didn't clock off at 7.30pm. They didn't wait to be told it was an emergency. They worked all night, even when their homes were threatened and their whānau were evacuated. And as we heard last weekend here on Media Watch, even if their own premises were evacuated too. But while many in the media stepped up during the drama, some, including RNZ, are deemed lifeline utilities under civil defence and emergency management legislation, and as such are obliged to keep broadcasting updates and information, no matter what. And not all the media critics this past week have been entirely satisfied. In his weekly commentary, former New Zealand Herald editor-in-chief Gavin Ellis said the media coverage on the Friday night was limited to local evacuation events, smartphone videos and interviews that were light on detail. And he said we didn't get a picture of how badly the city and the region was really being affected. I waited for someone to appear, pointing to a map of Greater Auckland and saying, these areas are experiencing heavy flooding. State Highway 1 is closed here, here and here, as are these arterial routes here, here and here across the city. Cliff faces have collapsed in these suburbs. Well, in a minute, we'll look at how what he wanted there could actually be achieved. But Gavin Ellis went on to say he didn't get what he wanted on Saturday morning from television either. The two main channels' weekend politics shows are not yet on air for the year because of the way they're publicly funded by New Zealand On Air for a set number of episodes. Rolling coverage was offered by both channels by Saturday afternoon, but even then, Gavin Ellis noted, media organisations were reusing social media material from citizens almost as much as the official information that from some quarters was still in short supply. Duncan Grieve, writing in the spin-off, also said that the floods had showed official communications can't respond at the required pace in a crisis, and even the major media institutions, he said, appeared too thinly staffed on an Auckland holiday weekend to interrupt scheduled programming. At the peak of the storm and maximum public interest, TVNZ1 had Clark Gayford taking a couple through their home renovation. And even on the Friday evening of a long weekend, he said, we are entitled to expect better. And in the same vein, one Media Watch listener got in touch to complain that Country Life was on air as usual on RNZ National on the Friday night, while the big city was flooding. Now, all this makes you think that a decently funded public media entity might be able to offer comprehensive coverage of a sudden crisis on TV, radio and online, should we ever get one. But the spin-offs Duncan Grieve reckoned the main takeaway was that this time it was the user-generated smartphone coverage which really clarified how bad the situation was in real time. While the city's mayor prevaricated over whether to declare a state of emergency, its citizens watched their phones in horror as Auckland drowned. TikTok in particular, in Duncan Greaves' words, decisively won the media coverage. And having read that, long-serving former TV3 news boss and now editor at Newsroom Mark Jennings agreed. My own sources of information have pretty much been social media as well, which I wouldn't have thought would be the case in the past. But if we look at um, where we're getting the best pictures, the fastest pictures, the actual localised knowledge that probably all of us in Auckland have been requiring, social media has been the fastest way uh, to get it. By way of contrast, Newland MP Deborah Russell said on 9 to noon on Wednesday that she'd been to the houses of several stricken constituents who didn't have smartphones or use the internet at all. And it remains to be seen if the relationships between emergency management agencies, 
news media and social media are fully considered in the reviews of this week's unprecedented disaster. But gaps in our response capability and capacity to keep pace with social media were identified way back in April 2019 with the publication of the National Disaster Resilience Strategy, and that also noted that a ministerial review two years earlier had identified... Emerging issues such as maintaining pace with media and social media, responding to new and complex emergencies, and the type of command, control and leadership required to ensure rapid, effective, inclusive and compassionate response and recovery. And those emerging issues emerged pretty starkly this past week. Dan Neely is a Senior Advisor in Emergency Preparedness at the Wellington Regional Emergency Management Office, or REMO for short, and he's been there since 2009, and he's been a key figure in adopting social media platforms like Facebook to boost its reach. We, we see social media as a, as a really important uh, platform to connect and communicate important messages um, to our public, so it, it, it allows two-way conversations to be had and, and real-time information to be disseminated. Yeah, so I can recall, you know, talks that you'd given years ago, because uh, you've been in your job for quite some time, and years ago pointing out that Facebook was quite important now and you were getting a lot of followers at Remo. Is, is social media now integrated right into your disaster planning and communications? Yeah, so mainstream media you know, organisations like Radio New Zealand, for example, are critical lifeline partners that are um, important during an emergency response, we also use social media in a lot of ways. So in the Emergency Operations Center, for example, both emergency management and our councils are trained in public information management, and those teams actively incorporate social media into the intelligence gathering as well as um, how those messages are being conveyed to the public, right? So platforms like Facebook and Twitter and TikTok can really provide live video and audio feed that are really focused information, and that can be hugely useful to those of us in the official response and provide a perspective of what is happening really on the ground and validate what we're hearing. Does it perhaps give people unrealistic expectations of, you know, what can be achieved and communicated? Now, you know, do they think that maybe every agency should have some sort of mission control with uh, uh, digital professionals wearing headsets, you know, up 24-7, able to, to provide this sort of constant audiovisual service alongside? What, what we know and what we see is people get really hungry for information when something's going on. People increasingly expect a certain degree of 24-7 information, gosh, about you know, everything. In my field of emergency management, we're really conscious of keeping our messaging tied to emergency management, which is really the realm of life and property safety, and not getting pulled into, quote-unquote, inconvenience management, which is probably more along stuff like traffic delays and canceled events. That's a really interesting distinction. So emergency from inconvenience. So, for example, if there's a holiday weekend and there's uh, an accident that clogs a major highway and it's going to cause disruption, uh, people expect now to hear about that through social media platforms and through the news media via, uh, you know, a, a comms team at an agency like uh, Waka Kotahi, for example. So yeah, maybe that increases their expectation that when something approaches the status of an emergency, that there will be 24-7 coverage, you know, no matter when and where these crises hit. Emergency management, um, which, is, which is really our job to help the public make those important decisions, um, when it matters, as well as, you know, kind of maybe drawing a line between inconvenience management, which is just, you know, any of us can experience frustrating things at any time. 
right now there's something called the trifecta program which is feeding into possible new legislation for emergency management so all this stuff is in play um the fact that what's happened in Auckland and the communication side of it is all going to be reviewed now, uh, the Auckland Mayor has said. Will the findings they come out with be of uh, intense interest to, to you and the Wellington uh, Emergency Management Office when, when they come out? We, we, we all review um, what happens across the country and we're always looking at ways to improve the sector. We are one of the country's first uh, social media accounts back in 2010 and it's a meeting that made sense to us at the time um, you can really see the way that, that those, those different platforms are pitched towards different audiences. Um, will continue to evolve as we as we learn and as those platforms continue to expand. That was Dan Neely, a senior advisor in emergency preparedness at the Wellington Region Emergency Management Office, or REMO for short. Now, as we heard earlier, Gavin Ellis lamented the lack of a big picture, literally in the form of a map showing closures, inundations, relief centres, danger areas, and so on. But way back in 2016... Remo commissioned research into whether citizens and their social media could actually be harvested to create something like that in a crisis. Massey University design lecturer Tristram Sparks, along with colleague at Massey Joe Bailey, led the effort to design a live crisis map which emergency management agencies, the media and citizens alike could all use to track and respond to developing disasters. Crisis mapping is quite an old idea and uh, through um, some research and some really committed work from developers and uh, citizens on the ground after the Christchurch earthquakes, um, they started plotting uh, where the damage was occurring and where ongoing uh, response was needed and where the situation was still developing. Uh, Wellington uh, Regional Emergency uh, Management Office, um, uh, they commissioned Joe Bailey and I at uh, the College of Creative Arts to take a look at this and this is where the idea of our main uh, research came from, preparing people to use a map um, and to aggregate information before a crisis hit. Just like the uh, GeoNet application um, that uh, GNS puts out, one of the first things that most of us do when we hear feel an earthquake is reach for our smartphones, pull it out, uh, submit a felt report. Now, it happened this week. They had an earthquake uh, centred near Morrinsville, I think, on Friday. Some 11,000 people hopped on GeoNet and said, felt it. Absolutely. Now, that uh, report in 2016 that came out, Prepare Wellington was the title. That was the name of the, the platform you proposed, a sort of concept and design. There are neat little, uh, I think, templates in there, uh, graphics showing what a user might have. So uh, a little thing you could see. So you, you spotted something. What's your location? What sort of incident have you seen? All of it geolocated. Is the idea that if enough citizens have pre-boarded or whatever the term is, they've used it, they've adapted it, they've got it on their phones, when something happens, you'll start seeing all these little data points filled in, a live map will start to exist? Well, absolutely. I mean, like, you need to see those situations emerge, especially in densely populated areas. Trust but verify is really important in any social media environment. You want to be able to... Um, ensure that that is actually happening. And one way to do that, of course, is multiple reports. The other uh, way to, to verify something, of course, is by uh, civil defence and emergency services professionals. Um, so that, that verification is important. But it's also, it's not just the geolocation that's important, it's the uh, timeline. You want to know when that particular area might still uh, pose a danger to the public, pose a danger to um, uh, first responders and also to uh, make sure that it has the resources applied to it 
um, as might be applicable. Yeah, speaking of resources, in the report, flipping through it, one thing that caught my eye was just a photograph of some looking rather antique uh, tractor. Yeah. You know, not, not a whole lot of tractors in Wellington. But the point is, you, you could be aware in advance almost of where resources that you wouldn't have thought would be that much use uh, suddenly are, are actually available. And that was our way of, of answering um, uh, Dan Neely and, and Lisa McLaren's sort of question when they commissioned us to do the research, is how do you make a map like this important before the crisis happens? The Hidden Tractors of Wellington was kind of a glib suggestion of actually saying, well, we don't know what we need in a crisis when it hits, but wouldn't it be great to know that there might be a tractor around the corner that you can call on should you need it, and to make sure that you know it's only visible when it's needed. Um, but that's where the user experience design and so on would come in, and and also the the trust. The Prepare Wellington report suggested uh, you could have a social media initial response team, mm. a SMIRT, where the regional emergency management office staff can publish appropriate. Uh, material to news media channels and monitor sources for information. You've said this could be escalated if required to a social media active response team, a SMART, which takes responsibility then for gathering in online information. Is that when a crisis gets to a certain level, you actually have dedicated social media professionals that can then fire up those channels and get the best of them? Is that the idea? Absolutely. I mean, civil defence in particular has a lot of really committed um, individuals who would volunteer for um, any uh, requirement as as needed um, in this situation. So a social media team could be a uh, a civil defence professional or it could be a, a trusted member of the public. There is a uh, website out now called floods.nz. That is, um, there is a, an element of verification in there. But in terms of the smart and the smirt kind of relationship, you, it's that trust but verify thing again. You need to uh, know when enough reports come in from users are in a crisis situation um, where it should be elevated in some respect, is passed on to the emergency services. Obviously, that all of this information will be available to uh, journalists and uh, citizens as well so that they would know whether they could help or whether they should just steer clear. And so a lot of this depends in the end on people and how they behave and what they use online and things change so for example there is a chart in the prepare wellington report so this is 2016 i think it was published uh where people were asked um how did you find out about the 2011 quake in christchurch a quarter of people said they found find it via television which i think you found surprising um more than email web and social media combined that would probably be very different uh, a decade on and would have been different this past week uh, in and around auckland um, word of mouth accounting for 18 percent similarly uh, when you asked what social networks do you use uh, in terms of social media, Facebook was uh, supreme. Um, Neighbourly, stuff formerly Fairfax Media Platform, the usage was at 25%. Google Plus was a platform a lot of people were using. Um, now I don't think no, anybody does. So uh, even in the, what, what, six to seven years since uh, you were doing that work, that's changed very much. So you'd have to stay on top of people's habits for a live crisis resource like this to work, wouldn't you? Yeah, and there are ways to d for developers to be able to do this, um, uh, engineers of websites, to be able to scrape information off public um, resources. Um, but there's also ways that we can build relationships between those platforms so that actually we would be requiring maybe even the 
platform to send us those reports that might have a particular hashtag or some other identifying uh, connection. And in the end, with social media being so immediate now, uh, people are saying everything was too slow. It's because now they expect that almost entitled to uh, be notified by uh, official authorities from one of the platforms that they use. Absolutely. I mean, like uh, the central government has made huge strides recently. I'm sure that we all remember the COVID alerts. Um, they were obviously in real time, but that was in a controlled environment. Um, real time media has set up a cultural expectation for a certain uh, demand to be notified. Mm. A, and this is even like not when there's necessarily a crisis, just when there's a, a major road closure, one accident and holiday traffic held up. People go, Why the hell didn't I find out straight away? You know, people do expect it now, don't they? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how social media undermines um, community cohesion. Um, but at the same, and so there's a, an element of the individual who is always the most important, and there is something that uh, larger platforms, especially of aggregated information, can actually start to offset that sense that um, that the expectation that the individual will know from central government um, before anybody else, or only specific and relevant to them, uh, will happen in a timely manner, and it's it's a, a hard. Uh, adjustment, I think, for our society and, and government. It, it needs to come together so that the information is not goes beyond entertainment or occupying your attention. It needs to be actionable. And that everyone's on the same page if they're using the same data in the end, which they all are. Absolutely. That was Massey University design lecturer Tristram Sparks, who, along with colleague Joe Bailey, led the effort to design a live crisis map in a project called Prepare Wellington.